She's 1930s legend Chance the Flapper, Franny Choi. And they're the reason you're not falling asleep at the academic poetry reading, Danette Smith. And you're listening to Verses, the podcast where poets confront the ideas that move them. Brought to you by the Poetry Foundation and Post Loudness. Hey, Francis. Hello, Mrs. Smith. <laughs> oh, Mrs. Smith, I like that. <laughs> Makes me feel like I have a magical school bus. <laughs> a magical school bus. <laughs> a magical school bus. Yes, yes, yes. We're going to gonna go in the inside of a star into that nigga Arnold's esophagus. Uh, <laughs> Bitch should have stayed home today. Bitch should have stayed home, but now he's the field trip. Uh, <laughs> how you doing, Franny? I'm doing good. You know, I just um, I just moved to a new city, so I'm like still trying to get settled in and missing my living room and all the setting up of it that I still need to do. Mm-hmm. So you're living in Detroit now? Correct? Yes, or um, in Hamtramck, which is it- technically a separate municipality, but it is within. Detroit. Yes, but, it is. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Detroit. <laughs> um, do you have like a like good toolkit for like moving to a new city? I know it's like always like a oh hard... man, yeah. Girl, I wish because <laughs> <laughs> I just have moved so much mm-hmm. in the past like twenty nine years. Yeah, I grew up moving from place to place like mm. every five six years, and then in recent years like every two. Mm. So I think that like maybe one of the things is like buying a bunch of plants. Filling the new place with plants makes me feel like something is now living there, you know? Not just me, but yeah. It becomes an environment, like a place where things can grow Mm -hmm. until I forget to feed it and then... Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Environment. Okay. So we're not all the stuff. Because I was like, wow, you can keep a plant alive. I'm so impressed because I killed a cactus. It's hard. It is. Especially hard. when you travel a bunch. But yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. What about you? Do you have things that help you move? You know, I think I like always try to like find my like instant haunts, right? So mm-hmm. like I'm like, mm-hmm. where's the gay dive bar? Yes. Where is the poetry slam, right? Mm-hmm. Even if I'm like not interested in slam at the mm-hmm. time when I move. Yeah. Um, but just like, where are my people, right? Yeah. And, like, where are like the places where like people I tend to like gather? Yeah. Um, Even like, where am I going to get a candy bar? at midnight yeah, yeah, where's yeah. the place I'm gonna go to get a candy bar at yeah, midnight yeah 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 like you know? quickly trying to figure out like what's my favorite coffee shop right right like, right what's right. My favorite, you know yeah. what's my spot totally. Um, totally you know what's the movie theater that kind of smells like piss a little bit like you know <laughs> Because um, they, they, they got the best popcorn. Standard. Yeah. The old standard in every... My one requirement for a city I moved mm-hmm, to. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a little weird for me now. You know, I used to move a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I'm rather a nomadic person throughout my life. But, like, I am... I'm, like, very much an at-home bitch mm. at the moment. You know, I've been in Minneapolis for a while. And, like, I've moved back to Minneapolis, like, several times in mm-hmm, my 20s. Yeah. I feel like I have the transitional energy that I usually feel when it's like time to move Mm -hmm. but I actually have no interest in moving so I'm like what do I do with this transition energy now that I'm stayed put yeah Um, it's just a little weird but that's real no maybe I'll move I'm I'm thinking about moving to Chicago sometimes yeah we'll see what happens yeah I mean it's been weird to move to a place and know that in all likelihood I'm going to leave in a year especially a city like Detroit that's like a quite a thing I think I've been trying to wrap my head around. I mean, maybe that's like one of the major questions when you move to a new place is like, what are my new responsibilities to this place? Yeah, how can I drop in and like actually be useful? Right, yeah. 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 And our guest today, Jonathan Mendoza, just moved to the beautiful city of Chicago Mm -hmm. um, specifically to organize in the Pilsen community. Mm -hmm. Um, And so is thinking a lot about like, what are the responsibilities of somebody who is in some 
some ways an outsider who is an activist and an artist? What is a person's responsibilities to their community, especially when it's a new one? So, um, yeah, we're really excited to get to talk with him today. Jonathan Mendoza is an award-winning Mexican-American and Jewish spoken word poet, community organizer, activist, and educator. He writes and performs on topics pertaining to social justice, mental health, multiracial and Jewish POC identity, Latinidad, U.S.-Latin American relations, and local and global politics. Jonathan is a national poetry slam champion with the House Slam of Boston, Massachusetts. Oh man, that was a great year. That was a great year. That was a phenomenal team. Wow. A three-time award winner of the Cupsy or College Union Poetry Slam Invitational, and the 2018 winner of the Sonia Sanchez Langston Hughes Poetry Contest. But this rock, his work has been featured in the Huffington Post, the Boston Globe, and but in poetry, um, he's an amazing person, activist, poet. The last three times I've seen him read, he's made me cry. Truly, um, let's go ahead and get into this thing with Jonathan. This is your intro music. Yeah, let's just play that for a loop for a while. Anyway, here's Jonathan. All right, I got a question. Okay. Okay. Should I just ask it live on the air? Sure. We're not live on the yeah. air, but it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Call in now. <laughs> it's how I have to think about the show, y'all. <laughs> Let me be. Um, we are delighted to be in the studio today with Jonathan Mendoza. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm good. Hi. Good. Okay. I want to start out with a serious pressing question. Okay. If you had to start beef with any celebrity, <laughs> who would it be? Why? And do you win? Oh, my God. Ricky Martin. Wow. Yeah. Show um, your work. Okay, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I was, I was talking about this the other day about Ricky Martin was like one of the first live concerts that I saw, mm-hmm. um, which is wild to me that that my parents thought that was like a great first exposure to music. Um, <laughs> but maybe amazing. Maybe it was really important. Had a really great effect on my career. Um, but I was like five or six you years old. You do kind of look a little like him. <laughs> Why are you? That's a, a compliment. Guess. Okay. <laughs> I suppose. So Ricky Martin is like a known attractive no. person. <laughs> <laughs> he is a known attractive person. So, Very yeah. Attractive. So that's my main competitor. Uh, yeah. So that's uh-huh. why I want to start people. Okay. Um, no, but, <laughs> like but, I don't uh, think he one. <laughs> he, he just hasn't. I don't. Maybe he has been making music uh, this whole time since I was six years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, basically, I my dad his friend was like in his band. And so when I was like five or six, like we got to go see him live. Yeah, and he was like hopping on convertibles and shit, like on stage. What? It was amazing. It really was living amazing. la vida loca. He was, he yeah. was. But I think like since I thought about him for the first time again yesterday, um, <laughs> I, <and> then now. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like really wondering what happened to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of me is worried. Uh, part of me is a little bit upset and disappointed. That Would you like to know what happened to him? I would. He's married now um, to oh. his wonderful husband. <laughs> yeah. And they have two great kids. Okay. I think he makes mostly Spanish language music now. Oh, yeah. So he's living a he's been life. gay. He's been gay, mm-hmm. but like now he's like in the world with it, you know? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think beef is resolved. Beef yeah. is resolved. Wow. <laughs> wow. Solving problems. Wow. Man, look at wow. We're going to change our name from verses <laughs> to peace. Uh, <laughs> with. <laughs> in community with. <laughs> Where poets hug the ideas that move them. Aww. Aww. <laughs> Thank you for answering our silly question. And now we have the rest of the interview. <laughs> what else is on your mind these days? Mm. <laughs> Aside from Ricky Martin, let me yeah. maybe that's a n- that's not a, a good transition. <laughs> so I uh, yeah, recently I, moved here to Chicago. Recently moved here to Chicago. Yeah, I moved June fourth. 
I came out here for a lot of things. Um, the main thing that pulled me out was a community organizing internship um, mm-hmm. that was like kind of known for just like getting people's feet wet like right away. As I'm sure like a lot of folks know that like Chicago has like a very dense history with organizing, mm-hmm. uh, especially labor organizing, largely like out of necessity. But so there's like a long tradition of formalized structure-based organizing, which mm-hmm. is like not in my background uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. But also just like there's something particular about Chicago, the overlay of arts and organizing. For sure. Um, and just how those interact. And so I've been like since I came actually for the for the Poetry Foundation, uh, the incubator last year that they had in Pilsen. I just like really fell in love with the city and with Pilsen in particular. Mm. So yeah, I've been like blessed and fortunate to now be in, living in Pilsen and be the housing and youth organizer for Pilsen Alliance part-time. Um, and then my off time working on different artistic endeavors. So mm. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm figuring out how to adult. It's hard. <laughs> it's fucking hard. But you I, never figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I, I, it's uh, it's an incredible place. I'm I'm happy to be here. Cool. Mm-hmm. And where were you? Were in Texas before? Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the very like succinct uh, story of my life is I grew up outside of Boston, right. um, and then went to Emerson College and Berkeley College of Music, mm. uh, and was doing like a lot of arts activism stuff there. And then I spent about like seven months in San Antonio, Texas, doing immigrant rights organizing with uh, Cosecha Movimiento Cosecha, and then after that, I yeah came out to Chicago, and that's where I am. You talked a little bit about like the particular organizing culture of Chicago, but mm-hmm. have you seen like a big difference between here and San Antonio? And like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, how? Yeah, I mean, I like definitely probably shouldn't be the one giving this analysis because, but I can give it as like a newcomer. Yeah, maybe it's sort city. of like like the first impressions, yeah. like a few months in, you know. Yeah, I mean, what I observed just on like a very surface level because you know I was only in San Antonio for seven months and then Boston, like organizing in the city for like four years, yeah. but. Shit's been going on for, like, a very long time Mm. in Chicago, it seems like. Mm. That, like, beef extends back many decades between organizations and politicians. And, like, I was just actually at the DuSable Museum uh, yesterday, Mm -hmm. which is incredible. If if folks haven't gone, um, definitely recommend it. But they had, like, a little exhibit on Harold Washington, uh, who was the first black mayor of Chicago. They were talking about there were aldermen who would say that they agreed with his proposals but would still block him because Mm. they served their constituencies. Mm. Um, And they were talking about aldermen who are, like, still currently in office today, you know, still people that, like, were fighting with about housing policy and shit. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I I think, like, that very likely exists in a lot of cities, I'm sure in San Antonio, I'm sure in Boston, but there's something, like, particularly prevalent about machine control of Chicago politics Mm. I think also Boston is like a very transient city. Mm. There's a lot of students there. So it's easy for people to like opt in and out of mm. their engagement with, with mm-hmm. the city and the community. Uh, whereas Chicago, I feel, especially like Pilsen, I feel like a lot of people I talk to are from there, have been there for decades. Right. And they know the aldermen. They know the community leaders. And mm. there's also definitely tension between like the old guard and the new guard. Mm-hmm. Like I very much see that there was like a old Latinx guard that like very much fought for like representation and politics back in like the 70s and 80s. Um, representation like to still uphold a lot of the capitalist structures mm-hmm. that we're still like trying to be down today. For sure. And you know, these are the same people that are saying, oh, we'll preserve the culture of this community even if uh, luxury development comes in and displaces and affects hundreds of people. And it's like, we don't fucking care about like, <laughs> right? like, like there's preserving l- the culture. Yeah, yeah there's like literally um, Racine Commons. It's on Racine and 18th mm-hmm. around there in Pilsen. And it's literally this building that used to be a Chicanx community center in Pilsen. 
um, and they had like a ton of financial mismanagement and uh, just kind of dissolved. And then someone bought the building and developed it into like luxury student housing. And there was so much contention around it because there's like, they're like, what the fuck? Like, we should be investing in our community or reinvesting mm-hmm. if this thing happened. But they used to offer like Mashika dance classes for wow. kids and do English wow. language learning for first generation immigrants. And, and then you have like just students moving in to do like, 1200 a month dorm style housing like ridiculous shit where yeah, like yeah. They, they're bringing services from outside of the community like delivered to their doors so that they don't have to go out and grocery shop locally in the community like it's right, just yeah. like awful like peak gentrification and they're like no, no no but we'll preserve the culture of this community and so they like slapped on oh God, uh, like an Aztec mural oh. on the building so you just like have oh, this no. like giant literally just a mural to be yeah. like and like if that's not the epitome of displacement and like misrepresentation of, of a community, like I don't know what is, you know? Right. Um, so there's like an old guard that will like uplift that as a, a prideful act. Mm-hmm. And there's like a new guard that's like, wait a second, like we've learned these lessons mm-hmm. that you can like, you know, appropriate anything and slap it on a wall and that doesn't make it of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's like a new guard that's learning um, and that's like trying to tie in you know white supremacy with capitalism recognize that like people of color can still uphold a lot of those structures so mm. um that's a really long-winded answer <laughs> no, it's not, not i think that that's like a, a phenomenon i see here whereas like san antonio and boston i don't know that there's as much of an old guard of latinx politics in boston sure. and san antonio a lot of things have like historically been very underfunded and just very much held like w- by white folks like with no regard for PLC leadership mm. so not that there isn't history and that there aren't like amazing elders and leaders that have been doing work there for a long time but I think there's um, contention around the today's activists and former mm-hmm. activists here in Chicago mm-hmm. yeah I would like to go back to Boston if we can and kind yeah. of talk about like the roots of both your art and your activism what came first like activist Jonathan a poet, Jonathan, or how have they fed each other? Yeah. So we cannot go all the way back to Framingham. You can go, Framingham, yeah, you can go all, all the way back. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I grew up in Framingham, which was like that 30. That doesn't sound real. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. It's yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> um, can go back to Framingham. <laughs> I can't say where I'm really from. No. Um, so I grew up like in, a, okay, I guess it's a, it's a city. It's technically a city now. Um, okay. So my dad is a like a Latin jazz musician from Mexico, and my mom like was m- very much in like the public health sector for mm-hmm. a long time. So I think I very much grew up with those two values mm. of like, oh, you were born for this life, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, inherited this yeah. particular intersection. <laughs> yeah, so I think I like grew up with like a lot of values in just helping people. Mm. I, I didn't know exactly what that meant, and so like obviously I turn from like service-based organizing to more like activists and like reforming the systems kind of organizing but then just like also very deeply embedded need like insatiable need to always be engaging with the arts in Mm. some way Mm -hmm. so I was like a musician for a long long time like since I was four I picked up the violin and played for like seven years oh wow then I had for a long time want to be a filmmaker actually Mm. Um, and that was how I thought that I could like tell stories that Mm -hmm. hopefully both expressed my upbringing and like myself and also like things I observed in the world that Mm -hmm. I wished would change. And so it wasn't until like later in high school that I discovered spoken word, thanks to some teachers. And then I was like, wait a second, this is a lot cheaper and more accessible (laughs) than film. Um, 
But even then, I was like organizing large concerts in my school to get people to um, perform like more contemporary music and mm -hmm. also have that connect directly to like some activist projects. So it was like a fundraiser. Uh, so like from, from a pretty early age, I'd say that I was like really invested in figuring out ways to blend my art and activism. So I majored in art and arts for social advocacy at Berkeley, mm -hmm. which does not exist. So don't go there and be like, hi, I'm trying to major in this because I just made <laughs> that shit up. Um, really. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I talked to my counselor. I was like, I want to do this. He's like, I don't fucking know, man. Like, sure. <laughs> uh, and, and that's what I've sort of been doing ever since. Now, as somebody who is actively organizing and like in that work, which can take up so much time and space, do you find that you go to writing for a particular kind of thing? Like, what is it that turns you from one kind of work to the other work, uh, kind of work? Mm -hmm. Like, why I will like stop my day to write? Yeah, I mean, I, just, I guess, I guess you know, just to kind of contextualize a little bit about like when I was like first most heavily involved in organizing, I tended to see my writing as like an extension of the kind of like messaging that I was doing at work, you know, mm -hmm. be like, okay, I'm going to translate these ideas into like the form of a poem mm -hmm. in order to like get this message out or like mm -hmm. ask these questions. And then like, as I went on, those things started to like really separate mm -hmm. more, you know, mm -hmm. like I started to see it less of like, as like a tool and I don't know, these days I also feel like maybe I'm like turning back towards like thinking about how poems are like a way to translate like messages that I want mm. to like put forward. So I guess I wonder what is it that drives you to the pagings? Yeah. yeah. I, I think they're like different moments that like stick out in my head. Mm. But like one is just like a frustration on constraints, mm. uh, like political constraints in this position as yeah. an organizer for this organization that's like trying to work with this legislator against the mm -hmm. past. I cannot say this radical thing. Yeah, for <laughs> um, sure. Like yeah. I cannot say that I am like pro-abolishing ICE because of this messaging of like our constituents yeah. you know and and like I might have ideas I might have like strategies and tactics as mm -hmm. an organizer but I like am often like still like an arm of the organization or mm -hmm. of whatever yeah. Yeah. and I think like writing is like such a form of liberation because mm -hmm. you don't need to be constrained in yeah. that way mm -hmm. like you can say whatever the fuck you want yeah. um, and people do and often get called out on like saying fucked up things or like yeah. um things but you're getting like called out like as you like as yeah, jonathan yeah. mendoza not as like personalized yeah, you know yeah, like exactly. which is a different kind of like risk that you yeah take on. yeah and so i think like just being able to touch on things that seem like far more radical than i don't know i don't i feel like that's turning my own horn but like just like I am where very, the danger maybe is only extended to you instead of your exactly. community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I am very invested in like tying the issues of like drug policy in mm -hmm. the U.S., like domestic drug and arms policy, to migration from like Central and South America and Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, like probably like sixty percent or more of the arms owned by cartels in Mexico are sourced from the United States. Mm -hmm. At least 30% of the revenue uh, for cartels in Mexico are from marijuana sales in the United States. Mm -hmm. And like more of that is for narcotics. U.S. domestic policy is like driving like the situation where people are forced to 
flee their homes right. out of fear, yeah. um, both from like physical violent persecution and economic violence. And like th- those feel like ideas that I want to like embed into my organizing mm-hmm. work, but mm-hmm. so often feel like removed from where our base is at and how our yeah. base feels. And so we have to work with a messenger that works for them, which like makes sense for that role. But I think like what drives me to the page is like when I see some report or like some article or just like learn something more that is like why do people not know about this why is this mm. not in the in the public yeah. narrative maybe that's something i need to challenge like how do i take my poetics and embed that back into my organizing mm. and trying to like you know get, just just get those messages out there so that's it's not just at the open mic but it's also things that we can like talk about in community meetings mm. um mm. It just feels so liberating to to like be on the page and like really say whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. Um, and to get complex, I'm sure. Like, yeah. you know, like yeah. it has been frustrating for me sometimes, like how much simplifying of the message is necessary in order to like mm-hmm. make it effective and like yeah. get it to move people to do a certain thing. And mm-hmm. there's like a kind of certainty that you have to mm-hmm. like put out into the world in that framing. Poetry allows for you to not be so sure you know right and like that allowing to to question yourself and like to like actually ask questions instead of like providing like the answer to Mm. the legislator you know yeah this is the action step that you need to take Mm. you know and i think maybe also too frankly it's like this thing of the leaps that you're able to take are Mm -hmm. much larger in the act of writing right because in organizing, we need those tangible steps, right? Mm-hmm. When those tangible steps are often small steps right. that we're using to get towards like a larger goal. But like metaphor can allow us to make a leap or image can allow yeah. us to sort of imagine things or not seek solutions just to like sort of seek the better question. Yeah. I'm wondering, Jonathan, is there anything that maybe feels possible for you in the world in a poem that maybe doesn't feel possible in the realm of activism and vice versa? Yeah, I think like lending humanity Mm. Two issues is something that like often doesn't feel possible in the organizing work in the way that I want it to be. And I think like a concrete example of that is um, Cosecha, which I've like dear love for for that movement um, and what they're doing. The short summary is that they're building a mass movement uh, across the country and demand a permanent protection, dignity, respect for all undocumented immigrants. So an end, a permanent end to deportation, Mm -hmm. just recognizing as like a violent, violent process. What's consistently spoken on, and it's like definitely a very Marxist uh, framework, is the idea that our power is labor power, Mm -hmm. is like what is contributed to the economy Mm -hmm. by these people for like almost no compensation Mm -hmm. um, to keep this country running. That is like super essential to like recognize and know and is like true, I think. Mm -hmm. If 11 million people went on strike today, like the country would shut down. Mm -hmm. And also recognizing that when we reiterate that message over and over and again, that like our power comes from our labor, from our labor, from our labor, like what we can give to this capitalism. Mm -hmm. um, Like I feel like it's so easy to lose our humanity. Mm -hmm. Um, Often in those spaces, like when we're just talking about like where our power is, like realistically, because like people don't care about their hearts <laughs> like people don't care about what they think or their ideas or their dreams or visions yeah. for their children like mm-hmm. they don't mm-hmm. um if you want to like make someone change their mind about something who like truly does not give a shit about you you show them who's lining their pockets mm-hmm. you know and that's like a, a fucked up reality of, yeah. of this world and of this country but i think poetry has like so often been that space where like we can remind each other and ourselves of our hearts, of our mm. children's futures, of our dreams. Mm. And that like just so often feels forgotten organizing. It's abandoned for the for the sake of pursuing that like 
policy objective. Mm. I feel so moved by that framework of like tying our power to like labor, Mm -hmm. how great that is. And also like how simultaneously dehumanizing that is. It's like, that's such a strange thing to encounter a framework that's both empowering and dehumanizing at the same time. Like that's fucked up. That's such a great case for like the necessity of art to Mm -hmm. enliven that with, Mm -hmm. with, empathy you know Mm, like and also like how strange to think about popular resistance Mm -hmm. as something that needs more radical empathy i want to ask about like storytelling and how that figures into all of this into Mm -hmm. both your activist work and your art what is the role of storytelling in that currently i'm like very interested in like investigating my own lineage Mm -hmm. um And like telling the story of how I came to be really Mm -hmm. through the lens of like migration and like what policies existed at the time that like my ancestors came. Mm -hmm. There's there's just like so much left out. The art of storytelling, like mainly through spoken word and through poetry has been a way that I found an ability to like inject my narrative Mm -hmm. into Mm -hmm. not necessarily mainstream media, but at least into what people are hopefully hearing, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. even if it feels small, even if it's just… you know a little poetry venue somewhere hopefully that is like in the spirit of popular resistance if you have enough people telling their stories Mm -hmm. that that changes people Mm. similarly like just referring off the last question sort of of like that that dehumanizing element of people like really becoming machines Mm. um can you tell the story of the machine (laughs) you know can you tell the, the, the story of this person that came to be something that was like just valued for their productivity Mm -hmm. um can you talk about your parents and like what they did to like put food on the table and and, like suddenly that becomes like not just about like how it's affecting the economy or something but it becomes like an act of love Mm -hmm. that like they had to work this job that was very menial to be able to feed you because they loved you Mm -hmm. and so i think like telling those stories like just lends so much intimacy to Mm -hmm. to what is so often seen as like these monoliths that don't get at like the intimate relationships that exist inside those communities mm, and in between all of us. Yeah. So I think like storytelling is a way of unpacking the humanity and mm. all of those. And I think like it also has allowed me to make connections between mm-hmm. different phenomenons that I think exist. So it's like I can talk from a heady perspective about like my thoughts about the relationship between the drug war and and migration. But I can also like try to tell the story I spent a lot of time last year working on a poem about like the legacy of the Cold War and Mm. how that had an effect on what people are going through today. And like talked about a person, Prudencia Martin Gomez, and like um, tried to pay homage to to her life through like the telling of her story, which has been told by a lot of artists and, and activists and filmmakers. It really, really gets me upset when people just debate about like the policy of migration and like mm. don't tell the stories of the mm. people as much as I'm like interested in telling the stories I'm like also like very invested in trying to like hopefully be a part of like building the spaces for people mm. to also tell those stories like mm. it's you know, def- yeah. definitely not just about me yeah. um in my perspective I've been thinking lately about like what's the limitation of storytelling and what mm. it can get us I don't Ooh, know say I, more on that well I guess I guess just like Watching the the Supreme Court justice confirmation hearings, the Kavanaugh hearings, mm. and like listening to Christine Blasey Ford like say, "This is what happened. This is what happened," mm-hmm. and for that to like 
continue to not be enough. And I don't know, I, I, I just like think about the times that I was working with young people who are like testifying in front of Senate committees mm. about, you know, this is exactly what the cops did to me to watch them continuously be like, we will not pass this bill. You know, like, I'm just thinking about what are the limitations? Like, why are they there? And what can we do with that? I is guess. that about, and I'm, let's figure it out together, y'all. <laughs> um, is that about the limitation of storytelling or is that the limitation of other people's empathy, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah, I often think about, sure. you know, like arts and activism sort of being like, needing to be in tandem, right? Because sure. one moves the brain and one moves the heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, we also always talk about in politics like this sort of movable middle that we're trying to sort of either bring left or bring right mm-hmm. or up or down. I don't really know how the directions yeah, yeah, of politics yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to, <laughs> trying, trying to dance, y'all. Here uh, or there. <laughs> but, but, you know, but like when I think about that Senate hearing, right, and like the many Senate hearings that have like happened, like local or national, yeah. these motherfuckers just don't have no empathy, right? Or they, right. Or they have trained the empathy out of themselves towards certain groups of people, right? Right. And so, like, a thousand women can go into that room and tell a story Mm -hmm. and all these, like, you know, empathy-less white dudes are just still going to stay in there and stare at them blank. Um, But so then, what do you do with that when the people in power, like, are just... Kill them! (laughs) (laughs) I was going to be like... (laughs) Well... Because I was going to be like, yeah, they shouldn't be there. I like to never say... (laughs) Thank you, Poetry Foundation, for funding this podcast. FBI, please don't come for me. Yeah, don't come for us. <laughs> just we really, sorry. we're just, <laughs> we're just, very we're, just writing I, words. What am I going to attack them with? My pen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have guns. <laughs> I'm anti them. Uh, <laughs> I was going to be like, yeah, maybe we should vote them out. But then like, Dinez cut me off like mid-sentence. <laughs> Kill them! <laughs> Burn it all down! <laughs> I mean, though. Honestly, yo, like, I understand how the French Revolution happened, right? Like, I went and saw Versailles um, (laughs) when I was in Paris, and that is some classy shit. That shit Uh is literally made out of gold. We were in Versailles for eight hours and only saw the outside um, and didn't even see all of the outside. It's a big-ass garden. And you walking around this opulence, and you're really, I don't know why I'm telling this story, but you understand (laughs) what would make a motherfucker walk from Paris to Versailles, which is a very long walk. And bring a motherfucker back to cut their head off. You understand uh, that. Uh, like, you know, and I think, I don't know, maybe this is my own, like, political, we I activated mean, something within me because, like, my race <laughs> is building up. And, like, I, so, I sometimes I feel empathetic because I'm just, like, until we're, like, like literally, like, revolting, I don't know what else to do. I mean, yeah. certainly, like, there's, yeah, violent, I don't think there's anyone in this room that's going to, like, completely write off the possibility of violent revolution yeah. as, like, an option yeah. always, you know? Yeah, man. But. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, but, but like that's that's like super real. Like I remember like mentors telling me when I was like back in the day when I was a youth poet <laughs> that was like you don't have to like perform your pain for anyone. Yeah. Like there are people in the world, plenty of people in the world who will listen to you, mm. who will believe you, who will support you, who will like snap for you on stage when you drop your poem. You don't have to do shit for people that don't give a shit about you. Yeah. You know, and I also like firmly believe in speaking to your people, like in speaking mm. to the public and mm. like, yeah. I don't know, because I get in some ways like the, the whole like preaching to the choir thing that people are like, oh, you're just speaking to people who already agree with you. But I also be like, these are your people. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. like I, I want to preach to the choir I want to tell them things that like I have learned that I think they should learn too how we're gonna like 
expand the choir, get some new recruits, how we're gonna, you know, like learn some new songs. Learn some new songs. Yeah. Maybe songs that like kick off the revolution. Um Kosecha who I keep mentioning, but um they have like a firm policy of not engaging with politicians because they know people don't give a fuck about undocumented people. They know people don't give a fuck about immigrants. And um we had a rally um during the airport protests at Boston Logan Airport when the the quote unquote Muslim ban was announced. And like Elizabeth Warren showed up, uh, Tito Jackson, who was running for mayor at the time, showed up and they like spoke for a little bit. And immediately after, they're like, yeah, just as a reminder, that's great. Anyone can speak. And also like, we don't give a shit about politicians. Like, we, are here, <laughs> we are here to like talk to y'all directly and be in community with each other and speak mm. with each other and learn how we can build this mass movement of people. Ultimately, they will do things because we collectively built large enough to like have an impact on them. Mm. So like maybe, you know, someday once we're big enough or something that (laughs) that they listen, but like that is not our goal. Our goal is like getting our neighbor to show up to this meeting and like talk Mm. to us about what we're building and what we can do together and how we can help each other and keep Mm. each other safe. People underestimate the value of just interacting, engaging and speaking with your people and like Mm. making other people your people if they will listen. Yeah. So one of the last times I saw you, Jonathan, was at Split This Rock. You read um, your poem, which was chosen by Sonia Sanchez oh, for this poem. prize. Can you talk a little bit about what that was like to know that like she'd she'd chosen your poem and that and like you know getting to read that in front of the audience, et cetera? Like what that yeah, what all that was like? Yeah, yeah. that was incredible. <laughs> it was like really unreal. So I like did not really know much about Split the Rock uh-huh, uh-huh. before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I think I'm a board I, member. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had like applied for an internship on a whim one time, but like without mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Research, much research. And then I just was like, I'm a poet. I should submit to something I see on the internet. That might have been like one of my first submissions ever. Really? Um, yeah. I think Whoa. I like submitted to like one online anthology for that. But I was like, I, I don't know how to be an adult poet. Um <laughs> It's a good first submission. Yeah, truly. <laughs> it was great. It was great. And then months later, I was like, okay, that was just something I did one time in my free time. And then it's like, congrats, you won. And it's like, mm, you've made a mistake. <laughs> you got the wrong guy. <laughs> but yeah, I was like really, really shocked and blown away and honored. Um, I think like to be real, real, there was like a lot I was like grappling with. Like sort of what we were talking about earlier of like yeah. the – both like trying to tell stories mm-hmm. and also building space for people to tell their own stories. Sure. And so that's like something I was thinking a lot about and like feeling very conflicted mm-hmm. about because it's like here I have like won this prize mm-hmm. um, and like received this honor for this amazing thing that like ultimately is telling a third person narrative. Of right, story. right. Yeah, I think there are like ways that I've like figured out like how I want to to have that like in some way support the work on the ground that mm-hmm. folks are doing. So I like try to make it a point that like every time I reference that poem or perform that poem to like also speak about like the work that undocumented folks are doing mm-hmm. currently and how you can like support them. Mm-hmm. And then also like a substantial portion of the prize money to undocumented folks. Mm-hmm. Um, but even so, like even like with like fiscal <laughs> donations yeah. of like that being being resourced to people who are directly affected by that story that still was something I, I was like grappling with was like how can I like be on the stage and like take credit for something I ultimately did not firsthand experience mm-hmm. it was a strange feeling of like to be being, celebrated for somebody else's yeah, story mm-hmm. yeah of like being applauded while like 
this person was never buried. You know, she mm. she died en route to like see her family. I, I guess for context, it's a poem that I referenced earlier about um, Prudencia Martin Gomez, who left Guatemala uh, when she was 18 years old and that was to like reunite with her husband who was in California, I think in Oakland. And she ultimately got sick on on the journey and died in the Sonoran Desert around the Arizona border, like 60 miles from the border. And there were like very few remains of her just because of like how brutal that terrain is. And the the story that goes with that is that that was a policy that was intentionally set up. Operation Gatekeeper is set right. up in 1994. Yeah. And like literally in the text, senators say like this is prevention and deterrence is what they called it. That mm-hmm. we can't actually build a fence all along the border. We're just going to build a fence where it's safe to cross so that people are forced to cross where it's extremely deadly and hot and there is like wow. no water. So we were deliberately wow. committing genocide to scare people from crossing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like that is the result of that policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people don't know that people like with the wall, you know, people talk about, oh, it's a big, goofy, expensive wall. No, they like Trump has said that they actually can't physically build a wall all across the border. Mm-hmm. They're just going to build it where it's hard, forcing mm-hmm. more people to die. And that that is genocide. Yeah. Um, I like desperately wanted to tell that story and just like, you know, I, I did think a lot about it of what it meant for me to tell that story. But ultimately, I, I felt like it is more important for people to know this. And I, I, I you know, I'm committed to like learning and growing um, was whatever that looks like in terms of like me being the person as like, you know, often white presenting like citizen uh, cis man to like tell that story. But I, I ultimately like feel like it's important to, to tell it. You know, I, I want people to engage because they can applaud, they can say I love your poem and, and whatever. But ultimately, I, I hope that it will like lead audience members to like some engagement with, mm-hmm. with the work to like stop this thing from happening. Yeah. yeah, There's so much happening in that poem besides the telling of the story, though. I mean, I think that's that for me is like the way you talk of, you're talking about it is as if you just like told like the story of this person. Mm-hmm. I think that that there's so much more happening in that poem, like. Mm-hmm. There's like magic that happens with the words. Like one of the things that I remember that sticks in my mind most from that poem is like is the play on the word sal. That's like a new thing and a new moment of empathy in the mm-hmm. world that you made, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. I, I I guess it seems like it's more complicated I mean, than I, that. I feel what he's saying though, because I think no, I, I, totally I struggle with that. For sure. For me, like I, I agree with both of you. <laughs> you know, I hear what you're saying though, like there is definitely something new because I agree that it's a beautiful poem like and it artfully honors the woman that it's about mm-hmm. but I think when I hear Jonathan say that I, I I'm glad to hear it because I because I, exactly. I, I'm yeah, more yeah, scared yeah. when people don't have right, right, like right, that, right 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 totally <laughs> when people, totally when people are like you know sort of just like recognize the currency in somebody else's story uh-huh. and just try to turn that into a cultural capital. Just like, for just like I'm just right? out here trying yeah. to give voice to the voiceless. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I yeah. hate that shit. Ain't nobody voiceless. Shut yeah. the fuck up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so I, I don't know, like for me, like that makes me smile because I'm just like, oh, sure. this motherfucker's on the right path. Totally, totally. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, that, I think there's like another phenomenon that like a lot of old white people who came Ooh, up to totally. me. Totally. <laughs> so many old white people. Yeah, 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 who came up to me and just like, it almost felt like they like loved the the like spectacle mm. of like sure. and, and yeah, a lot yeah, of people yeah. who haven't been like very exposed to like spoken word mm-hmm. or people like doing work memorized mm-hmm. and like okay this guy legitimately came up he was very confused poor soul oh. uh, there was like a panel earlier in the week where he like it was about immigrant poets mm-hmm. and he raised his hand to ask everybody what do you think about rap and like the room was just dead huh? silent and they're like 
that has nothing to do with what we've been talking about this whole time. And Jeez. then like after my performance, he was like, hey, amazing poem. Or no, he didn't say that. He's like, hey, that was amazing. Yeah. So so you do the rapping. I was like, oh, you were very confused. You were very, he thought that my my spoken word piece was like a rap song. Um, <laughs> oh no, it's just not. And oh, it no. was not. And he's like, yeah, he's like, that's what I was talking about, rapping. Why don't people anybody want to talk about rapping? I'm like, um, you know. <laughs> Um, so I think there was like, just, like just no this, one was rapping. <laughs> no one was rapping. That's why people don't um, want to talk about it. Yeah, no one was. No one has been doing that here. <laughs> and um, and so, but I think like that spoke to just like a broad and like people had a lot of funny questions about that. That was yeah. like it was a spectacle of like me telling this story and people like almost being entertained by this like social justice poetry festival without sure. like actually wanting to engage with the issues that <laughs> I know. Des and I are both. Triggered right now. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's fine. No. It's fine. No, but it's true. You know, I think for a lot of folks, social justice becomes um, a fun thing that makes them feel deep mm-hmm. after, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think spaces like that can often be dangerous, for just as, especially for like, the people that are within them and that mm-hmm. actually are thinking about yeah. this work in critical ways. Like, mm-hmm. there are, there's a lot of on yeah. looking that are like there to like be entertained, but also to be entertained in a way that makes them feel like they have brownie points at the end of the mm-hmm. day. Right. Yeah. Um, like I listen to this yeah. poem or rap, yeah. maybe, and I've been absolved of. Yeah. I've I, I have know, plus two. Yeah. Points to I've get been, me into the good place. I've been moved by a colored. <laughs> yeah. um, so, when, so I didn't like actually totally catch what you're saying when you said brownie points. I heard something very different. Oh. I was like, oh, you're like literally brown. Like brown points. points. <laughs> well, I, I think also. so. I think you can extend yeah. this metaphor. To, <laughs> I listened oh, to man. a brown. I got brownie points. <laughs> also, man, I didn't wor- the word brownie has never sounded so racist. <laughs> oh, 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 no. Oh, <laughs> you know? Oh, no. Not okay. Like, I, listen, I'm from mixed race family. This is going to cause a lot of issues. Okay. I'm not going to hear it the same. Yeah. <laughs> Don't listen to this episode of Thanksgiving. <laughs> Complicated holiday. Uh. <laughs> Truly. All right. So, Jonathan, do you have a poem that you'd bless us with today? I do. I do. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, like, just because I'm, like, in it and we've been talking about it, I guess I want to share the, the poem that we've been talking about. Oh, yeah. Um, Perfect. Yeah. Osmosis, in which molecules of a solvent pass through a membrane to achieve equilibrium. Example, I place my hand in a pool of salt. Some stays. Some seeps into my skin. Everything goes exactly where it's supposed to. Example. Prudencia Martin Gomez leaves Guatemala at 18 to join her husband in California. Like most beings, most of Prudencia's body is water. When Prudencia is found, 60 miles from the U.S.-Mexico border, a pile of clothes, limbs, and a puddle of wet sand. Is she the corpse, or was she the water? If Prudencia is water, and the desert is a ground, then Prudencia went exactly where she was supposed to. If migration is a pipe, and employment is a sponge, then Prudencia went exactly where she was supposed to. Some would like to build a wall. Water always seeps through, but much does not. Most days, 
Water drowns in the bed of a pickup truck clutching a seven-year-old daughter. Most days, water is the daughter engulfed by men who are storms. Most days, water flees the storm only to join other water, like at the bottom of a riverbed or drowning in an all-American canal. Most days, water must leave a nation that is on fire into the nation that fans the flames because most days, home is a war, even if they called it a cold one. War is only cold everywhere it isn't a fire. Home was the gunfire and the crossfire, and the day an American-backed coup burned Prudencia's village to the ground and water fled up, evaporated, northbound. And some days, water survives long enough to know comfort as something other than a myth, but most days, water exists just to be consumed, just to be exploited, just until the nation's fear sheaths all the communities like ice. Ice stops everything. Ice stops children on their way to work. Ice stops parents on their way home. Ice stops loved ones from praying at a hospital bed. Water leaves the eye, and Prudencia is a small ocean on her husband's face. Salt stays. Sings the water its own name. Sal. Sal. Leave. Leave. Everything goes exactly where it's supposed to. Prudencia leaves. Becomes a cloud. Prudencia becomes the rain. Prudencia soaks the earth. The earth begets a seed. They tried to bury us. They didn't know we were air. They didn't know we were water. They didn't know we were everything. The earth would become. Um, in every episode, we like to ask our guests for a knockout, uh, meaning just like anything, like a poem or a movie or a sandwich or a Netflix binge, whatever, um, that has recently knocked you off your feet. Recent as in like from like birth to now. Um, <laughs> it's the last that, thing that made you cry. I guess that's a slightly different question. Yeah, that is a different question. Uh, When's the last time you sobbed? <laughs> Tell me what your pain looks like. Uh, What's the last thing that knocked you out? Oh, damn. Okay. I was going to say this amazing rendition of Macbeth called Mendoza. Um, <laughs> that it was like amazing. set in the Mexican Revolution. But they, Did you write it? Uh, I wish. I wish. <laughs> but um, they were sponsored by Corona and uh, there's an ongoing boycott of Corona. So I talked to them about it and it's fucked up. That's not a fun story. Um, I saw Osuna on a Saturday night. Osuna? What's that? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Put us on. Yes, let us know. Osuna let us know. is, as I understand, uh, the number one streaming artist in the world on Spotify. Um, oh. He is a Puerto Rican reggaeton singer. Uh, he has a song with Cardi B, La Modelo. Ariana, shout out to Ariana Brown, um, told me to go to this concert. Uh, and so mm-hmm. like, she's like, I need to go. You can come with me. <laughs> and so I went. And I was knocked out. I was definitely knocked out. Wow. By um, live musicians. There was fire. Sparks. <laughs> what? Um, it was a wild love, time. Love a spark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, love a spark. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, so Osuna. So we got to check this out. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. we're like way late. I know. <laughs> yeah. What was it about it that was so moving? 
how joyful he was mm-hmm. to be up there. Yeah. And I just like generally don't go to like big pop concerts really a lot. But he was on there for like a long ass time. There was no opener. It was just mm. him. Yeah. And like from beginning to start, it felt like he was like never ready to leave the stage. Mm. <laughs> and just like people were going wild and he was just like smiling and dancing the whole time. And I think like especially in the midst of like all the shit that is happening, mm-hmm. um, just blocking out two hours of pure joy um, was something incredible just to like see and then to like feel it myself. It's very mm. contagious. Yeah. Um, so it was beautiful. We like to play this little game called This Versus That, where we pit two people, concepts, books, etc., 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 against each other. And, I like many etc. Yeah. <laughs> um, and see who would win in an all-out brawl. And so we have, in this corner, legendary pop star Ricky Martin. Mm. And in that corner, we have other legendary pop star <laughs> Osuna. Who wins in a fight? Um, I just I just want to picture this fight. What I'm what I'm seeing is like two <laughs> stages. One like Ricky Martin when I'm six years old and he's dancing on a convertible. Wow, and the wow, other, wow. Like, Osuna just like fire and like sparks and shit going all around. Perfect. Him. Yeah. I think like Ricky Martin puts up like a respectable fight. Like people are like, <laughs> you, you did well. You did well. <laughs> um, but like ultimately, he knows like Osuna's Osuna's taking shit over. Damn. Yeah. Osuna has like some some wild animations going on, and they're just like. <laughs> Too much. They're too much for Ricky Martin in the hand. Wow. Yeah. Damn. Damn. Sorry, Ricky. Sorry, Ricky. They, they shake hands afterwards. You know, it's very. Re- this is a, yeah. this is so respectable. Yeah. 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 <laughs> a yeah. gentleman's a gentleman's <laughs> brawl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's less a brawl, more so. I'm imagining kind of like more like guys and dolls, like a fight with sna- <laughs> a lot of snaps, <laughs> a lot of hips in this fight. Uh, I, want, I want to see this reggaeton musical. So yeah, that, I definitely want to see that. Please make it happen. Whoever it is listening out there that has the power to make it happen, Lin-Manuel, you know what's up. <laughs> well, Jonathan, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Um, where can people find more of your work and find more of you in the world? Yeah, yeah, no, thank you for having me. This is great. Uh, so my Social media on Instagram and Twitter is the same. It's jmendoza010. And then Facebook and website are the same. It's Mendoza Poetry. So nice. it's mendozapoetry.com or like at Mendoza Poetry, whatever. People don't use Facebook anymore. <laughs> I think we all have like had a I know. We all just, we yeah. all just like got off that bus. <laughs> the middle schoolers were like, let's go. We're off to Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm. And we were, we've all followed the yep. middle schoolers. Yeah. We all left <laughs> our aunts on Facebook. Yeah. Like, y'all can talk to each other. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Jonathan. Yeah, thank you. Well, it was so good to talk to Jonathan. Yeah, that was so great. And also, that poem makes me weep every time I hear it. Literally every time I hear it, mm-hmm. I am crying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Okay, so during, we were doing the knockouts. Uh-huh. Um, you were asking him, like, when's the last time he cried? Right? Yeah, which <laughs> is like, such a rude question, by a, the way. Such a rude-ass question, but now I want to be rude to you, bitch. Okay. Um, what is the last thing that made you cry? Oh, it's probably just, like, loving my friends or something. Mm-hmm. But on the subject of our conversation today, like Mm. footage from a great protest or great (laughs) civil disobedience action Mm. will always bring the tears. Yeah, that's like it's like the one thing that actually makes me it's less about like crying. I I cry less about like being sad and more Mm. from like relief or a moment of happiness that Mm. that just like shows 
how sad I have been, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what really does it for me. So, yeah. what about you? When's the last time, when's the last time you sobbed? Um, Regular like, question. Like, sob, <laughs> sobbed. I tear up a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm an easy tear-upper. But the last time I sobbed, I was on the phone with my mom and like mm. she made me cry about my coming out because I was telling her about this gig I did at a high school oh. that me and Human Win got to do at a high school. And like all these kids were coming up to me after being like, how do I come out? How do I come out? How do I come out? Oh my God. Um, and I was telling my mom about it and she was like, well, you know, that's always been who you are. When you came out to me, I was telling her the story about a kid at the summer camp I was working at and how he came out mm-hmm. and like how we like worked through that. And yeah. she was like, even when you came out to me, it was only because you were like telling me about how you helped this other boy come out to like a larger group of wow. people, right? Um, and she was like, you know, like you've always been like helping other people walk through that door even before you had walked through yourself. And oh then I was just God. like, ah! and then she started crying. And then once me and my mom get to crying, it's like a, it's just like for sure. an echo chamber of sobs. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that I think makes most consistently cry besides like my mom mm-hmm. and like commercials for like Google. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> they make really good commercials. Uh, I know they're so evil. Yeah, I was like, I love Google Drive. Uh, save all my memories of my daughter. Uh, <laughs> I'm like you. I think I also cry at justice when justice is like served or marched for. Yeah, I think I don't know. That's yeah. a weird country. I didn't. Yeah, you got me thinking about. It. I'm like, oh, I, I do cry at those videos. On, yeah, on like the twitters and stuff like that. Yeah, too. I, yeah. Really do. Uh, all right. All right. Well, so should we go, go cry at some? Yeah. All right, down. Cool. So let's thank some folks and then go weep. All right. I mm-hmm. love it. Mm-hmm. Um, gratitude and weeping. Gratitude and My weeping. faves. Yes. Since we're on this train, I would like to thank local activists, yo. Sure. Um, I feel like it's a rather thankless job and a lot of folks do it and don't do it so they can eventually, you know, meet Jay-Z or <laughs> um, get a Nike sponsorship. <laughs> you just like do it. And I'm really grateful for folks who do the thankless work of like making our cities better. Is there a local org in Minneapolis that you want to shout out or St. Paul? Let me go ahead and shout out um, NOC, the Northside Community Organization. Cool. Um, I really love NOC and the work they do. And then on an arts and activism tip, shout out to True Art Speaks and hey. to Juxtaposition. Nice. Yeah. Similarly, I want to shout out my family of PRISM. I want to shout out uh, my family of Migrant Justice mm. in Burlington, um, Vermont, and New Urban Arts, mm. and a bunch of other people. I don't know, but PRISM will always have a very special place in my heart. Dare. Yeah. Shout out Dare. Yeah. We love you. Shout out to all the local Black Lives Matter uh, yeah. organizations all across the land. Boom, boom. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, let's do some other thank yous and yeah. shout out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Poetry Foundation, um, particularly Idalmi Noriega. We love you. Thank you to Post Loudness. Thank you to our producer, Daniel Kisslinger. And thank you to you for your ears that made listening to us possible. <laughs> and you with the ears, if you like <laughs> what you're hearing, uh, then please go ahead and comment or like on uh, Apple Podcasts you know leave a rating let us know what you what you like what you, what's, what's going on with you and you know find us wherever you are on social media we're on Twitter at BS the podcast also on Facebook and uh, you know wherever you may listen to podcasts tell your mama tell your sister and your brother too um, and beyond that y'all we'll see you next time y'all bye bye